Welcome to episode 10 of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Dr. Michael Mallon, the IDM, and today we're having a mega Hearthstone podcast to celebrate the announcement of the Journey to Unguro expansion. Two guests are going to be joining me today. First up is Peter Whalen, senior game designer for Hearthstone. He talks about the development of both the adapt and quest mechanics, in addition to the challenges of creating new content for a thriving, passionate fan base. After that, Dr. Zaki Zak, a data analyst with Vicious Syndicate, sits down with me to explain the construction of the weekly Data Reaper reports and how he thinks proper data analytics can improve Hearthstone for both players and the design team. Thank you for listening. Let's dive right in. Peter, thank you for uh, joining me on the show. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I guess I know your time is limited, so I just want to dive right in. Um, sure. So first of all, congratulations on the Journey to Angoro announcement. Uh, sounds like so far people in the community are pretty excited about the game, uh, about the n- new expansion coming up. And it's my understanding that you're lead designer for this expansion. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I was the set lead on this. The, the, the team as a whole is super excited about this expansion. It's I, I'm personally really excited. The team's really excited. Dinosaurs are just awesome. It's, it's really fun. It's fun to see Elise again. She's one of my favorite characters. It's cool to see her in a different light. Excellent. And so I was doing a little bit of background research before talking with you here today, and I know you uh, had a previous deck building game, Dream Quest, and then came over to the Hearthstone team, uh, I believe, in the summer of 2015. And I wonder, since you first joined the team back then, how has your role within the team evolved over time? A fair amount. I mean, I started out as a you know a more junior designer. I was doing a lot of stuff working with uh, with Ben Broad on. At the time, it was TGT, the, the Grand Tournament, and then League of Explorers. Um, so I did a lot of the stuff, sort of implementing cards and doing some programming and writing a lot of the script for League of Explorers and a little bit of card design. And then that's kind of evolved more into doing more of the card design. And then Journey on Gore was the first expansion that, that I was the lead on. And so I, you know, I had a small team and we did the initial design and then I stayed on in the final design as we... We worked on tuning the numbers and the concepts and getting everything into a more more set place. And then now it's it's finally shipping. It's kind of crazy. Excellent. So when did when did the design process for uh, this latest expansion, when did it start? Um, we started talking about it a little bit after Old Gods shipped. We had started having conversations like, all right, we know we're going to do a large expansion next year for the beginning of the Year of the Mammoth, but we didn't have that name at the time. Okay. Um, what, what is that set going to be about? We threw around a bunch of ideas the same way we, we do for every set. Like, are there cool places in World of Warcraft that we can go? Cool real-world tropes that we can play into? Um, we know that we're doing Karazhan, and then we're going to do the Mean Streets of Gadgetsan. Let's find something that's a little bit of a different vein. Um, and everybody talked about it, and usually we do a bunch of iterating and have tons of ideas. But we kind of just latched onto dinosaurs really fast, and everybody was really excited. Um, and then we had a conversation with a, a couple of the leads on the team and said, okay, what are the things you're excited about if we went to Angora, if we do dinosaurs? And uh, someone said, we should bring back Elise Starseeker. Elise is awesome. The League of Explorers is great. She'd be a great character to come into this primordial world. Somebody else said, we should take the Hearthstone spin on dinosaurs. We're going to do dinosaurs. Let's not just do big lizards. Mm-hmm. Let's have them have 
magical powers, elemental powers. Let's give them, uh, they shoot lightning as they move. They have actually growing forests on their back. They've got, they're made out of volcano. What are all the cool things that we can do with dinosaurs that makes them even bigger and more, more special than they already are? So that's, that's kind of where a lot of these core ideas of Journey to Angoro came together. Yeah, it sounds like the overall concept's been going on for quite a while. I wonder, you know, as someone who's just certainly a, a kind of casual player of the game and maybe sp- picking a specific card here in the new set or maybe even something that's already in the game, like how does the design process for or a single card work from start to finish? Yeah, so it depends on exactly what card. Some of them are pretty straightforward, like Verdant Longneck we, we revealed yesterday, and that's just a 5-4 for 5 mana in Druid with Battlecry Adapt. And that's a good example of a card that just shows off one of our keywords. Adapt is a new keyword in Journey to Ungoro, where you get to look at 3 out of 10 possible upgrades for your minion and pick one. So, for example, he might be a 5-4 and you choose Divine Shield. So 5-4 Divine Shield, you could choose plus 3 attack, and then he's an 8-4, or a 5-4 with Stealth for a turn. So those are all possibilities, and this is just a good way to show off that mechanic. So he was actually pretty easy to design once you had the adapt keyword. And with the adapt keyword, I'm wondering, you know, I think on on Reddit earlier you had posted all the ten different options for the adapt powers. And are the adapt powers the same over all the adapt cards in the set, or does it change based on the specific card? Yep, it's exactly these ten for all of the adapt cards in the set. Okay, that's interesting. So... Are most of the adapt cards in that kind of five mana range, or do, do they vary through from you know zero to ten? There are no zeros and no tens, <laughs> but there, there are some a bunch of other numbers. Uh, there are small adapt guys and big adapt guys. It's actually really interesting which adaptations are good for big guys is different than the adaptations that are good for small guys. So like poisonous is really bad if you're already a ten ten or whatever, but poisonous is really good on a one one. Uh, sure. This is a new keyword that is the Pit Snake mechanic. It just got released in the patch today, and okay. so Pit Snake okay. and Emperor Cobra are now poisonous. It means they destroy any minions they damage. Okay. So that's one of the adaptations. And so that that's an example of one that's good on different size guys. If you had something that was like an 8-2, Divine Shield is way better on that, or Stealth is way better on that, than it is on something that's like a 2-8, where Taunt would be better. Not that those are actual adapt cards in the set, I'm just making up numbers. <laughs> And so I'm intrigued by that adapt mechanic, and I wonder how was that mechanic influenced by your experience with earlier mechanics like Inspire and Discover were uh, received and how they performed throughout playtesting and throughout you know being active in the game now for a little while? Yeah, so that came from a mix of two things. Um, when we were working on Mean Streets of Gadgetan, one of the possible uh, factions that we thought about was mechs. And their mechanic was that they could upgrade over time and that they could, whenever you played a mech, you could maybe get a spare part uh, equivalent that would give it a new ability. Mm. And so we simplified that a little bit into whenever you played the mech, you could just pick a way to make it a little bit better. Um, It didn't quite work out. There were some pieces that we just didn't have yet um, design-wise, and so we moved in other directions for Main Streets. But when we it came time for... Angoro, we revisited that mechanic and said, this is perfect for dinosaurs, for showing a way that they can adapt to the elemental energy that's around in Angoro, is to take this mech mechanic and make it work in this world. And so we tried a ton of different adaptations. We had maybe 
20 at mm. some point. Okay. I tried out a bunch of them had immediate effects like restore four health to your hero or do two damage to a random enemy or immediately summon two guys. One of the things that we found was that it was more fun when we just kept it more clear what's going to happen. You're playing a dinosaur and he's going to get better. It's not you're playing a dinosaur and you're going to get a spell effect. It's just you've got a dinosaur, he gets better. Mm-hmm. And adapt in Journey to Ungoro is the dinosaur keyword. It's only on dinosaur minions and then on a couple of spells. Okay. And so there was a, another card, I believe, that came out. I think it's Gentle Megasaur, where it says Battle Cry, adapt your Murlocs. So does that apply to all the Murlocs in your hand, on the board, throughout your deck? How does that work? Um, yeah, so Gentle Megasaur is adapt your Murlocs. It's just the Murlocs in play, just like give your minions plus one, plus one. It's just okay. the guys. But yeah, he's he's really exciting. That's a very powerful effect if you're playing a Murloc deck. Um, you can play some every once in a while, you're going to want to get taunt with it. But a lot of the time, you're giving it plus three attack or wind fury or divine shield and making your army of murlocs much more resilient or powerful. So if you can stick an army of murlocs, it's it's pretty good. And uh, murlocs are one of the things in Journey to Angoro. There's a couple of cards that work with them. They're one of the tribes here that's hanging out in the, the sort of wetland areas and in the hot springs. Uh, sure. The hot springs. And so I wonder what it's like to not only design a card has the five four stats with this adapt. There's ten different options that can that can come into play. What is it like to to play test this? Because it seems like there is quite a bit of uh, randomness to what effect you get and how useful that is. Yeah, we play a ton of games with it. We've got a final design team and an, and an initial design team. So the initial design team, while we're concepting them, trying to figure out like text boxes and. Uh, exactly what the flavor for a lot of the pieces are and what the mechanics are, we'll play them uh, in kind of bad decks. We'll just toss all the Ungoro cards together and just see how it feels and make sure that it's fun to play with. And then we'll hand it off to Final Design, and these are top-tier players. A lot of them have hit rank one legend, are are some of the best players in the world, and they're going to play them in very good decks, in the decks that they think are competitive. So they'll take super aggressive Murloc decks, and jam them against the control decks and make sure that those matchups are not only fair but also fun to play and that they're at a meaningful a, a power level where you can make meaningful decisions and that are interesting and create fun games. So we played a bunch of hyper-aggressive Murloc decks and tried to find out exactly what the best builds are and uh, how they'd match up against some of the better control decks and mid-range decks in the format. I always wonder how predictable is the... Journey of Ungoro meta to you guys, like even before it releases. So do you have an idea of what decks or what cards are going to be overpowered or underpowered or kind of fit right in? Like, do you kind of talk about that as like, okay, here's what's going to be going on in about a month from now? We have a general idea for the power level of most of the cards, but it's almost impossible to design a game that's both complex and deep enough for millions of players playing tens of millions, hundreds of millions of games um, to still have that metagame be interesting and dynamic and have there be space for them to explore and also have us completely solve it. So we definitely don't have the metagame completely solved, but we do have some idea of what cards are going to be good, what decks are going to be good. Players always surprise us. They always come <laughs> up with, here's this deck that we had no idea was going to be powerful and that's that's cool. One of the, the striking examples to me was always towards the end of the Whispers of the Old God meta, there was... This shaman deck, a wall shaman or bog champ shaman, this deck that played uh, earth elementals and far sites 
and ancestral spirits on uh, these minions, and we had totally not seen that. In months of players playing, they hadn't seen it, but it did incredibly well in the tournament where it debuted. So it's, it's really cool to see decks like that evolve, and I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to see something like that in Journey Down Goro, where we'll see a metagame that's, that's dynamic and that we're seeing new decks evolve. Yeah, I toyed around with that kind of concede shaman template, and yeah, that would be uh, it was fun to play if you could get the right draws and everything to go for you. I wonder, yeah, what, I, it was cool. What a what is a card or a deck that maybe on the flip side kind of underperformed more than you were thinking it would since since you've been with the Hearthstone team? It happens sometimes. Often, what will happen is that there's a card that's very high power that the rest of the deck doesn't evolve around due to the metagame. Um, Malkazar's Imps, an example of a card that's really powerful. Discard Zoo was quite good, but not not amazing. So that's one that, if there's better stuff in the future, it could be really good. Um, Menagerie Warden from Karazhan, the 5-5 copy of Beast, sure. is it's very powerful on its own, but it hasn't had some of the synergies around it. So that's an example of a card that could be powerful in the future that didn't really come together as a deck. Um, Dragon Paladin never really coalesced. We didn't push it super hard, but it, it kind of had some tools and just didn't quite get there. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some examples. The final question I had on that, the adapt mechanic, because you were talking in depth about that before. It's interesting that it it's a card, and then there's ten possible options, and you get to pick one of three. It certainly brings in more randomness and decision-making to the game, and it seems like that the randomness or the RNG seems to be a, a staple in the Hearthstone design philosophy. And I'm wondering, what is the rationale for that for you and, and the rest of the developers over there? Sure. It's a combination of a couple of things. One is that randomness drives skill. If you've got these interesting decisions that you're making during the game, that's a way for skilled players to express themselves. So um, a good example of randomness in Hearthstone is just card draw. You draw a couple of cards at the start of the game, and then every turn you draw another card. And what you've got and what you've seen and what you might get determines what kind of plays you can make. And a better player will play around the fact that he might draw good cards in the future or the cards that he needs and play those odds, and that's that's very important. Um, Hearthstone has less draw RNG than a lot of other games that are out there, a lot of other um, card games. So... It's important that there are other aspects of randomness in the games, both so that games are more dynamic, so that you can play thousands of ladder games over the course of an expansion and still find new and cool things that are happening. And I think Adapt is one of those examples that is um, skill testing without being widely variant. There's only 10 different options. You get to see three of them, and you make a decision. And you might know that plus three health is always the best Adapt. And if you're sort of a medium, low-tier player, you just say, okay, Divine Shield plus three health, those are always the best choices. And as a result, you might miss the opportunity where you're you're playing against somebody with low removal. You know you've gotten out all of the Warriors, Shield Slams, and Executes, and actually taking Wind Fury here on your 5-4 is your best option to win. And a better player might see that, whereas a weaker player might say, oh, no, plus three health is always the best choice. And so I think this is a great example where you can show your skill by choosing from a small set of fairly controlled random options. There's space for hugely variant things. I still love the card Renounced Darkness. It's super fun. Your deck is thrown away. You do crazy stuff. But I think it's also really healthy to have these lower variants, um, option, opportunities for players to express skill. 
Yeah, and, and sort of along those lines, um, I, I started playing the game more seriously, I guess on more of a daily basis, when around the same time that you joined the Hearthstone team. So probably been doing the daily quest now for a good year and a half. And, you know, I wrote a little bit on my site about what it's like to be a new player and how my views were shaped by the different websites and streamers and people who are out there putting up YouTube videos and everything. And Hearthstone certainly has a very passionate community. I think that's one way of putting it. So I, I wonder, what are the, the benefits and challenges for you and the team of designing content for a game that's that popular and that's kind of voraciously consumed on a minute-to-minute basis? It's actually really great. We get a lot of feedback from our community. Some of it's positive, some of it's negative. And that drives a lot of our decisions. We're, it's important that we look at what the sort of underlying things that our community wants is. Um, we see a lot of people saying, okay, I hate this card, I love this card, and it's part of our job to understand why do they like that, what are the things that are important to them, what are the things that are not important to them, and also to understand that the vocal community, the people that you see on Reddit, on our forums, on Twitter, are a small minority of the people that are playing the game, mm-hmm. and so it's important to us to keep track, keep everybody in mind when we're designing cards and designing content and making system changes to make sure that the game is fun for the newest players, the most competitive players, and everybody in between. And that's something that I keep in mind of, you know, the people who are on Reddit or even on Twitter and, like, writing about Hearthstone and coming up with deck lists or posting videos. It's got to be such a small percentage of the overall player base, and I think that gets lost sometimes. Like, I don't know where I fit into that. Like, I've gotten to rank 5 a few times. I've never hit Legend, I but I enjoy playing the game on a daily basis, and... I don't know if that makes me competitive, casual, or somewhere in somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah, I mean, rank five is pretty good. It's a very small percentage of the player base. I know that's what's surprising. At the end of the season, it gives you you know this is you're you've performed better than you know ninety percent of the players. It's like really sure. So, but in terms of some of the misconceptions or even some of the myths out there in the community about how Hearthstone is designed, like what are some of the biggest that you've come across or that you would like to correct going forward? There's a lot of stuff out there. One of the things that's really important to me that's come across uh, lately is about how much the developers force individual archetypes. And I think that's a really interesting discussion because there's a couple of sides of it. One is there are mechanics like Jade or Cthulhu. We call them linear mechanics where you take a bunch of cards and you put them together and that forms the basis of your deck. And those kind of mechanics are really helpful for starting off an expansion. It gives you a place to look at. It gives new players a place to start building decks, but it also gives players a way to express themselves to say, I'm only going to play a small subset of the Cthulhu cards. I only want to play the four Jade cards that I'm really interested in. So that kind of mechanic is is sort of one side of it. There's also individual build-around cards, things like Reno Jackson or Mysterious Challenger Mm -hmm. that say, build your deck in a particular way and you'll get paid off. Um, And those cards are interesting to me because they allow us to put a lot of power in new archetypes that people can play. They give you different ways to experience Hearthstone, different ways to play from expansion to expansion, while not really constraining your creativity. Building a Reno Jackson deck is is very hard and very open-ended. It's basically right now, you take Reno, you take Kazakus, and you get 28 cards that you like. And there are some powerful combinations that are out there, but that's a lot of flexibility. So I think there's sort of this misconception that when we say play a deck that's all singletons, that we're saying, okay, here's exactly the deck that we want you to play. And 
it's really important to me that you you feel like you have creativity, you have opportunities to express yourself as a deck builder. And so that's one of the things that moving forward, we're we're trying to do a better job of showing and a better job of, of working with the community to, to see all of these cool different decks that, you can, that can come out of it. That, that's really interesting that you talk about that because one of the things that I've had in my, my mind recently, and I'm really excited to talk with you about this, is you know, when I started playing back in 2015, there were a few sites that were posting deck lists and kind of talking about the current state of the meta in Hearthstone. And then a site recently, well, within the past year or so, like Vicious Syndicate came along, and it provides these weekly, scientifically sound um, analysis of what's happening on ladder. And I think for better or for worse, and, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, kind of the mystery of what decks are good or bad has been removed, and it and see, it seems to streamline like what people are willing to play, and I wonder what that has done for you as a as a design team, or just kind of seeing the game progress from your point of view. Like, what's what are the benefits and potential consequences of of that data being out there? Yeah, I think it's great that sites like Tempo Storm, the Vicious Syndicate, Hearth Pwn, a lot of these sites publish deck lists and talk about them. There's so much more content now about Hearthstone than there was a year ago. Um, that's that's fantastic, but it's definitely true that it's caused metagames to coalesce much much more quickly. That metagames have been, if not solved, at least it feels like there's a little bit less community drive to explore new paths and experiment with new decks. Um, it's interesting looking at those that we see things like recently Agro Shaman. Once Vicious Syndicate has started to say, okay, Agro Shaman is the best deck, that's what everybody should play. We see more and more better players gravitating towards that deck, which has sort of a snowball effect where it's driving up the win rate. So even if Agro Shaman's actually about on par with Reno Mage or with Reno Warlock or uh, Dragon Priest or Jade Druid or whatever the other Tier 1 archetypes are, we're seeing those numbers get pushed farther and farther because more of the better players are moving in that direction. And I don't know if Agro Shaman's a great example of this. I don't know if it's more powerful than the other ones, but it has been an effect that it's kind of driving up over time. So we've been talking about a bunch of different options with that. It's hard to just say, okay, let's put more decks out into the metagame and see what happens because people tend to gravitate towards the ones that are perceived to be most powerful. One of the things that we're doing is adding a few more cards that answer particular archetypes, having a little bit more of some archetypes are better against other things, and having more ability for you to change your deck, four or five cards, to be better against the things you're worried about. So if you're worried about aggro decks, put in these four or five cards that are more powerful against aggro decks. If you're worried about control decks, swap them a bit so that you have a little bit more agency in that. Mm-hmm. And we've also been talking about being able to more frequently step in. Just this morning, we made changes to Small Time Buccaneer and to Spirit Clause. And so we're looking at what our options are for doing that after Angoro launches to see what happens in response to that metagame. And I'm not sure what we're going to do as a result, but it's one of the things that we're becoming more open to as a result of all of the the more frequent metagame changes that we've seen. Sure, and yeah, I think that that's an interesting point about the whole idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if some of the sites or some of the streamers out there say this deck is good, then everyone starts playing it, and then you feel like you don't have a counter, so well, I guess i got to jump on that train as well. And it, it seems like over the last six months, certainly, that there, there's been less like experimentation with different decks or different cards that don't see that much play. 
I think some of, there's even some classes that have sort of been pushed to the side, like Hunter and Paladin. It's like not many people are playing those those days. So it, I think it's more enjoyable when there's, you know, you feel like you can take any hero, throw some cards together, and, and work with it. And I imagine that's the hope for the upcoming expansion to give all the all the heroes some life. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of exciting cards coming out in, uh, in Journey to Angora. And one of the things I'm most excited about is the Year of the Mammoth. Just having the new standard format in the Year of the Mammoth is is very different, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of the powerful staple cards from two years ago that are going to move into Wild. And so we have opportunities now to see some of the cards from the, the from the past year that didn't see play, that weren't quite strong enough have more chance to see play. And same with the Journey to Angoro cards. So the metagame as a whole is going to be a little bit less powerful. And so that's one of the things that I'm, I'm excited about. When the metagame is a little bit less powerful, it's easy for more decks to thrive. Um, and so we'll see more of these classes, some of the ones that haven't been seeing as much play lately, we'll get some powerful cards and we'll see some interesting things happening. Yeah, what do you think, uh, what are some cards that are sort of under the radar now that you think will be a bigger deal now that some of the more powerful stuff is rotating out? Yeah, so I think um, Hunter has some powerful cards, like Rat Pack is just on rate, very, very good. Uh, the Trog Beastmaster, the 3-2 buff a beast in your hand, is mm-hmm. is very good on rate. So those are examples of cards that I'm pretty excited about. Um, I think Small Time Recruits is also quite powerful in Paladin, drawing three cards, even if they're one cost minions is very good. Um, Smuggler's Run that gives them plus one plus one is also very good. So we'll see some of these cards have more power as as time goes on and as we move into the year of the mammoth. Um, so those are some examples of cards that, for me at least, I'm pretty excited about. Uh, Kindly Grandmother is also super powerful. Yes, I love that card. <laughs> I like the story there, and I love the visuals for it when it, when she dies and the the feathers fly. Right. Yeah, and one of the cards that I, I just opened recently, and it was actually in my first double legendary pack, which I was really excited about. It's wow. been a year and a half, and I finally had that happen. Um, is uh, Shaku the Collector? So it's um, such a fun card because it just fits perfectly in a rogue. It has stealth. It steals things. It just really fits the flavor of that uh, hero, and it makes me it makes playing that card more enjoyable because I feel like a rogue. And I'm I'm wondering if the design team is trying to do more of that where they're trying to have kind of the class specific cards really match up with the archetype of the of the hero yeah it's really important that the class specific cards match up both with the archetype of the hero and the vibe of the set mm-hmm. that we find cards like pyros that feels like this is a cool fire elemental that mages can summon and that it's a part of the elemental theme of journey to Angoro. so it it fits into sort of the primordial elementals, but also into the mage theme. Yeah, and kind of returning to something you said about, you know, designing cards that kind of, not force, but encourage the player to um, go in a specific direction, the quest cards that are coming out with the new set. Um, that's a really interesting choice, and I'm, I'm wondering, um, just kind of a more logistical question, the, the quest card, my understanding, it starts in your opening hand, or is it added in as an extra card? It starts in your opening hand. It's always the leftmost card in your mulligan. And then so, you're putting the mulligan it away or keep it. Okay. So if you keep it and you play it on turn one, then it's not like you get another card that replaces it. Yep. I mean, oh, eventually oh. you get another card. You get the super powerful quest reward, but you don't get to draw a card or anything. Understood. 
So um, I know I uh, really appreciate your time once again. You know, the thing that has really uh, been enjoyable for me playing Hearthstone is that it, it sort of breaks a lot of the rules of card games I've played in the past. Um, reminds me of recently playing the board game Pandemic Legacy, where you get to change the board and rip up some of the playing cards along the way, which kind, sure, of, yeah. which kind of blew my mind. So, like, Adapt allows you to play one card, but it has potentially ten different options that you could use it. And you kind of talked about the mechs maybe having some kind of upgrade capability, but what are some of the other boundaries in Hearthstone that the design team is toying with and you might bend or break in the future? Oh, man. I, well, Journey to Angora has some has some crazy cards. There, there's some stuff I'm, I'm pretty excited about, and I hope I hope you're excited about it too when, uh, when we finally get to reveal them. And we'll start revealing cards in a couple of weeks. I think March 17th is the date. Okay. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about seeing that stuff. We've also tried some just like crazy stuff that we we never shipped. Um, one of my favorite examples of that is the the old Elise design in uh, League of Explorers. At one point, was Battlecry discover a new board and go there. <laughs> so she would just like pick the Stormwind board and that would just change because she was an explorer. Sure. Um, but there were some technical limitations and also it didn't have any gameplay impact, so we ended up not doing that. But um, that, that was one of the examples of something that I was really excited about. That, that's just a cool, weird thing you can do. But uh, yeah, we're we are constantly trying to push the boundaries and see what cool things we can do with Hearthstone. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, certainly excited to consume the new expansion when it comes out and uh, keep up the great work. Well, thank you. It was great meeting you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for your time. A quick note before we get to our second guest, if you enjoy interviews with members of the gaming community, think games such as Dungeons & Dragons, Darkest Dungeon, Hearthstone, and Overwatch, then consider subscribing to this podcast, Ego Check with the NDM, through iTunes or Podbean. New episodes are released the first and third Tuesday of each month. You can also find years of written content about gaming on my site, found at www.theiddm.wordpress.com. Finally, you can connect with me through Twitter at theiddm. Now back to the show. Welcome to the second half of our show here today. Uh, right now, I'm joined by uh, Zaki Zak, um, who's a member of Vicious Syndicate. And what is it, your exact title with Vicious Syndicate right now? I am uh, part owner, uh, but part uh, data analyst, I would say. And for those who have listened to my show here uh, since I, I uh, put it out on episode four, I believe, um, Phenom, who was talking about Vicious Syndicate, uh, referred to you as Prozac, I believe, all the time. Is that correct? <laughs> that is true. That is true. So if you want to link those two episodes together, that, that's who I'm speaking to right now, Prozac. Uh, yes. so, so welcome. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, as I was mentioning to, to Felix before, uh, back in that episode, you know, I've really enjoyed um, what Vicious Syndicate has done for players of Hearthstone, kind of giving a very accurate report of what's going on in the meta on a week-to-week basis. And what is your role in that for folks who might not be that familiar with statistics and data analysts, uh, analytics? Like, what do you exactly do? So uh, this uh, whole thing started last year when uh, I – uh, joined this syndicate. I'm uh, in my full-time job. I'm a professor at Ohio State, and as a hobby, I picked up uh, Hearthstone. 
At the time, I, I had an interest in Hearthstone, both from uh, just the game and the insights uh, of the game, but also from the uh, business perspective and the esports perspective. So I uh, got in touch with the folks at Vichy Syndicate and offered them to help on both sides. Uh, and at that time, I spotted this need in the community for some data analytics. Uh, so got together with my uh, brother, who is kind of the chief editor uh, and, uh, and the mind behind the Data Reaper report. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we laid out the plan of what we should do. Uh, we started get, uh, collecting all the data. And uh, thanks to the community and the cooperation and people contributing to data, we uh, continuously have grown the, the tracker base. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I do is, is the, the analytics. So in the back end, Phenom described to you in detail how we collect the data. Uh, I basically do post-collection analysis. Uh, so I um, uh, put together the graphs, put together the data sets. I worked with uh, a number of software uh, packages uh, to put out the, the data in, in kind of a processed form. In, in, in data analytics, mm-hmm. uh, what we want to avoid is just spitting out data. Uh, we, we, we want to, uh, together with the data that we do put out, uh, tell a story. And uh, that requires a little bit more processing and uh, analysis and then figuring out what is the story we want to tell, how we're best going to tell it, uh, graphic-wise, number-wise. And, you know, we've been doing that for almost 40 weeks now. Uh, and it's it's been a blast. Yeah, and so you're in the, uh, I believe, the College of Business, the ac- yes. Accounting and Management Information Systems. Am I getting that correct? Correct. Okay. And and myself as a psychologist in my professional training, you know, part of my training in graduate school was research methods, statistics, and I've had some published papers in the past. So. The thing that really connected with me with how the Data Reaper reports are presented is it's very much like a research paper in terms of here's the sample size, here's how we got the data, this is what we're doing with it, here are the results, this is what it means, Um, which is very much laid out like any paper you would find in a peer-reviewed journal. So. That seems purposeful. <laughs> if yes, uh, that's uh, how uh, both I and uh, uh, Zacho, who is uh, my brother, that's how we are trained. Uh, in my day job, as I said, uh, part of it is teaching, but part of it is publishing research papers. Uh, my research has to do with all sorts of things related to the stock market and financial statements. And uh, when we do... Uh, write a paper, that's kind of the structure. Uh, what we try to do here in the Data Reaper, although, of course, it's, it's not like peer-reviewed journal, but mm-hmm. we try to uh, write it as if it were uh, a peer-reviewed piece. And we take feedback really seriously. And if, we, uh, if you hop on uh, the Reddit boards after we publish each article, we really pay close attention to uh, questions that people ask. And if there are any questions that 
require some changes to make to the data review report we have, especially at the beginning when, when the report was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every time people ask uh, uh, some good questions, we do pay attention to them, and we try put, to push that uh, forward. Uh, I wonder what are what have been what's been some of the feedback from the community that has pushed the Data Reaper report to uh, evolve over time. Yeah, I think earlier on, uh, the first piece of uh, feedback that we got, or at least the beginning, was to slice the data based on ranks. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that we could do that, we have. Uh, there was a, uh, an unfortunate period where uh, that uh, uh, trackabout feature was kind of disabled. Uh, but now we are back on having the meta sliced up into uh, ranks. Uh, so that was one piece. Uh, you know, another one is people were asking for earlier on uh, to have uh, colorblind versions of the of the matchup reports, which mm-hmm. are kind of green and green and red, mm-hmm. so we put another one that's for uh, for blind uh, colorblind uh, friendly sure. features with with orange and blue. Uh, so those were kind of two examples of things that we uh, improved uh, as as uh, as as part of uh, of the readers' feedback. What's been some of the Challenges over the weeks or months of, of putting this out since you, cause you guys started last, well, summer of 2016 or 2015? We started in May of 2016. 2016, okay. Yes. Uh, the first challenge was to, uh, be able to gather up a, a large enough sample to have, uh, the beta, uh, be reflected, mm-hmm. uh, Based on the sample, because obviously what we're doing is we're we're, we're estimating things. Sure. And in the population, uh, uh, we have a sufficiently large sample right now to be quite confident that uh, what we are estimating as either the structure and the composition of the meta, as well as other parameters that we are estimating, for example, win rates, uh, those are pretty close to uh, the truth, in quotes. Mm-hmm. And the truth is not observable. Uh, and what we're all we're doing is estimating the truth. Uh, and, of course, there are f- different challenges. For example, estimating win rates uh, is, is, is a challenging thing. It, it has to do with... A, 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 uh, a multitude of, of uh, variables or parameters, player skill, deck structure, the inherent uh, inherent uh, strength of a deck versus another deck, uh, and so on. So that's kind of what we're uh, uh, presented with challenges. By the way, win rate was another thing that uh, the community at the beginning were, were uh, really thirsty for. And the first few weeks, uh, we did not publish win rates uh, until we were comfortable enough uh, in our methods and, and what we're trying to uh, put out there to uh, be representative of what the player experience would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power rankings is another thing that was not initially in the first few reports. I think it came out at number six, five or six uh after we 
had received some feedback and kind of uh, found a method to uh, compute it relatively consistently uh, so that it'll give us something meaningful. That's the key here. Uh, what we want are, is the numbers to just not be numbers. They, they should tell us a story. Backing up, I think something that's interesting that you mentioned that might not be clear to to folks is this idea that the, the truth isn't possible to, to ascertain really in any form of measurement. Um, so we're all doing estimates. And yeah. the bigger your sample size, the more likely you are to get closer to that quote-unquote truth. Yes. And, and so right now I believe you're getting game data from about 2,200 different players. Is that correct? Yeah, it varies. We, we have uh, about 23, 24, it varies active, what we call active trackers. Mm-hmm. 2,400, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it varies. Depends how we, we basically active trackers we define internally as uh, people who have been contributing games over the last 30 days. And so that adds up to somewhere in the neighborhood. Uh, I think on average it's about 60 to 70,000 games each week. About. It depends. It, it varies. Uh, closer to uh, an expansion, it dwindles down. And then once an expansion hits, uh, it goes up again. Mm-hmm. I think that the first report after the uh, gadgets and expansion, there were even, uh, you know, I think, over 100,000 games wow. a week. And, you know, it's it's sufficiently large to allow us to make statements that uh, are representative of what the truth is. I think what we are watching for are biases to the extent that there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the data is is limited in the sense that it cannot answer all the questions that we want to answer. Mm-hmm. And th- at that time, we, we, we just don't answer a question if we have a question. But uh, the data is not sufficiently powerful to answer it. We just don't answer it. We keep it aside until we are capable of answering it. And, and one source of uh, discussion that, that came up, I guess it was about a month or two ago, is this idea of, is the vicious syndicate report, the data that's in there, does that equal or is it better than or less than somehow like expert opinion uh-huh. about what's going on in the game? And, you know, I wonder how how would you uh, – I mean, that's already been picked over and I don't want to certainly get back into that. But how how would you kind of talk about how expert opinion fits in with your reports? Well, the way we structure the report, it's uh, whoever is uh, writing the report, and we have a team of uh, class experts, and they provide us with their uh, uh, take of what has changed or what are the innovations that the particular class uh, presented in a week, mm-hmm. and supplemented with uh, what the, the numbers are telling us, I think it provides us uh, a fairly decent picture of what the average player should expect uh, when they're queuing up on uh, ranked standard ladder. So there is uh, there is definitely uh, uh, a, a room for both. Uh, and so the, the, the advantage of numbers is that they're fairly... Uh, Kind of emotionless. <laughs> uh, to the extent that you can read them properly and interpret them properly, uh, they tell you a story 
uh, around which you could structure decks, you can plan your uh, your laddering experience around those numbers, and of course, uh, you also need to input into that your own experience and expertise, your own strengths and, and weaknesses as a player, and uh, uh, together all these three components, personal experience, expert opinion, and uh, kind of hard numbers will, I think, elevate the, the, ex- the, the, the uh, level of play that you can play. The nice thing is, like you said, the, the numbers are what they are. You've gone through and done, I, I think, like a scientifically sound process of here's the data, we collected it, here's the story it tells, mm-hmm. and then you can interpret it a few different ways, but it kind of gets away from the idea of alternative facts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so one of the really cool reports that that you uh, your team put out recently was about um, patches and, and small time buccaneer. And what what was that process like? Because that's certainly different than the weekly data Reaper reports. What, yeah. What generated that, and how did that happen? Well, uh, obviously the 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 pirate package mm-hmm. uh, has attracted a lot of attention from the community and uh, people naturally playing it in many decks uh, understand and realize that this package is is quite powerful. But what we did not know is how powerful it is and uh, the different types of openings that you can present with a package like that and how powerful they are. Uh, So we set out to answer this question. Uh, When we do card analysis, uh, there are a few challenges. Uh, One of the biggest challenges of card analysis is um, uh, cards don't perform, measuring card performance needs to also take into account or control for board states. Mm -hmm. And board states vary, especially when you go into the mid-game and late-game. Observing a a card being played is is very tough to isolate the board states. The only time that you can realistically control for board state is when the board is empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the early turns. Sure. So when we, we do analyze card performance, uh, we try to do it in the early turns. And the Pirate package is great for that because sure. you know it's an early turn uh, package. Everything's did, a one drop. <laughs> yeah, we did similar things with, with Fiery War X at the time where, you know, while the board may not be completely neutral, uh, it's close enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, later cards, people have asked us, can you do uh, uh, an analysis of Reno Jackson? Or uh, uh, Those are a little bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can present the data, but uh, interpreting it, it's, it's more challenging. Sure. So we try to avoid that until we are in a position where we can realistically and, and appropriately control for board states. Yeah, and the the data provided, and that I think I talked about this with with Felix in an earlier episode, but the 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 fiery uh, Winax uh, article was really uh, excellent to go through because that card was talked about as just being sort of 
overpowered, but you guys put numbers to it and showed yeah. just how much it affects uh, the win rate if it's played or if it's not played or if it's in your opening hand or not in the opening hand. So you do the same thing with the, the pirate package, first by going through Pirate Warrior, and then what I found most interesting about that is it's not so much small-time Buccaneer that's devastating, but uh, Nizoff's first mate, which seems to be the most impactful card in that package. Yeah, that's uh, what the numbers suggest, uh, uh, that it's it's really powerful. And, um, you know, the other thing that is important in these analyses that I view is the ability of the community to understand, quantify what is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, in the future, uh, there is a benchmark of what is a powerful thing. Uh, is it more powerful than uh, the Pirates package? Is it less powerful than the Pirates package? One of the things that is being repeated uh, all the time when there is some controversial, powerful effect in the game is how is it compared to a Hunter Taker? Now, at that time, I wasn't around. Well, I am old, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't allowed around in Hearthstone uh, to observe the Hunter Undertaker. But we really don't have a, a way to quantify how powerful that package was. Uh, now, since we started to put out numbers, uh, uh, Blizzard 2 started to spit out a little bit of numbers to get the community some sense of uh, what their uh, view is about the uh, preponderance of, of overpowered decks and the uh, power of overpowered packages. Mm-hmm. So I think in some in some way we serve as some sort of a, a tool to the community to uh, understand the game and the macro level of the game, like you know the meta, but also the micro, like you know how do you play. Uh, we're not there yet. I mean, this this uh, this card children's card game is very complex, uh, and uh, we hope that uh, we're going to push the knowledge of this uh, game forward with these types of analysis. And it inspires a lot of other people to uh, to experiment, to provide other tools to the community that uh, that will together. Uh, bring uh, or elevate the knowledge again, and because you know it's all about educating the 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 player base about the game. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about that education, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, before I was talking with with you here, I had Peter Whalen on, and he's the one of the game designers for for Hearthstone. He's been working with them since about 2015. Mm-hmm. And he's the kind of set designer for the new expansion coming out, Journey to Angoro, which I'm kind of pretty excited about. And I asked him about what it's like to design a game now that there's tools like your site, Vicious Syndicate, out. And, you know, what are the pros and cons of that? And, you know, he said it obviously kind of felt like it was a good thing for information to be out there helping players, but talked about how quickly the meta gets figured out. Mm-hmm. And how that has kind of sped up with your site, where if you say that aggro shaman's good, then everyone's going to play aggro shaman, and mm-hmm. it sort of cuts down on the experimentation that might happen in the beginning of an expansion. And what do you think about kind of the pros and cons of this data being available each week for players? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I've heard this argument before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that 
the meta being solved, uh, solved, quote unquote, quote unquote, is uh, is uh, has sped up, perhaps. Uh, there are a number of factors that could contribute to that. Uh, um, just like when you think about uh, markets, I mean, my research is about markets. Stock markets and you're talking about. Stock markets. Yes. Yeah, stock markets, but other markets as well. And how uh, markets utilize information. Uh, and, you know, in my research, uh, one of the major pieces of information that's out there in the stock market is accounting information. And over the years, uh, the markets have been presented with more and more information. The idea is that more and more information coming in with more sophisticated investors or players that interpret that information mm-hmm. uh, makes prices more efficient. Uh, it solves, quote unquote, the puzzle of what is the value of this co- of this stock or this company. And of course, the stock market keeps changing. The information keeps coming in. It's like a it's it's a continuous evolvement of of the market. In in that way, the the meta at Hartson is very very similar. Uh, the meta is is rea- reacting to players are looking for the best stocks the best decks to play mm-hmm. uh, with the highest win rates. And the more information there is, you'd expect the meta to be solved uh, quicker. It doesn't mean that uh, the meta will be solved and becomes uh, become kind of stagnant. Uh, even now, you know, when the meta has been sort of stagnant for a couple of, uh, maybe for four or five weeks, uh, there are some innovations. Uh, you know, the water package, this frozen brought. Frozen brought the water package, which is kind of a five card package. Of Murlocs. Of Murlocs. Yes. And he put it in, uh, very boldly in, in a deck, uh, in his pirate warrior deck. Called it Water Warrior. And people have started putting it in other decks. Uh, and it works, uh, at least in the meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just now I've seen, I'm looking at the numbers. I, 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 today we were looking at the numbers and seeing how all of a sudden there is this water rogue that pops up. Uh, again, and the core is, is a deck that was, pre- or was prevalent, but adding to it another package helped shake things up. So, yeah, we might have, it's hard to quantify the contribution of, uh, of uh, data availability to how quickly the information uh, is spread out. It certainly has some effect. Uh, but we believe that uh, I think to some extent it pushes the developers a little bit to shorten the cycle of content creation hmm. and which, uh, they've, do, which it, they've done yes because now and, there's going to be three expansions a year and yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'm, I, we're not surprised by it because uh and i think to to to, to some extent it's it, it, it's exciting to the community i think the community will be exciting it probably i know i don't know the the financials of things uh but i i, I don't believe it'll be uh, painful to the bottom line of Blizzard. Yeah, and talking about like some of the 
you know, other decks because it's been such a shaman and kind of pirate controlled meta. You know, one, I think one of the decks that was recommended last week was kind of what, like the water rogue or aggro rogue in general. And I opened up, uh, Shaku, the collector, mm-hmm. which is such a fun card to play. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been loving that card and I actually zoomed with Ro- I didn't even think I was going to hit, uh, rank five this month. And in the last few days, just zoomed from 10 to 5. I think I lost twice or maybe three times, but <laughs> just playing Pirates, Shaku, and like Argent Horse Riders and just running over people. <laughs> yeah. It's, and uh, it's and like a- I would have never thought to, one, I didn't have Shaku, but I mean, just playing Rogue and using that in a different way than, than Miracle Rogue, it was like I wouldn't have thought of that uh, two weeks ago, but now that's a thing. You know, the other thing is that to the extent that people, are uh, kind of focusing on one uh, or set of decks, there is room for experimentations. And, you know, the creative deck builders out there are, are doing it. Uh, they trying to take advantage of the kind of stagnation mm-hmm. of, of the meta. Although, you know, once you have a really powerful deck that people just can't get away from, like Agro Shaman, it's very difficult. People just don't give it up. Uh, you see it in uh, in the ride to legend in the last two three days of the month, where consistently we've been seeing uh, uh, just an increase in the number of uh, shamans on high levels of play. Because everyone's going to go to the old standbys. Like, what's going to be most effective to win? Yeah, yeah. And like, I tried to dink around with a buff paladin and just couldn't get it to work and like i want it to work i I think that'd be a fun deck to play with but it's Mm -hmm. not fun when you're just dropping ranks left and right each day (laughs) yeah i i you know i'm not a hearthstone pro i i I, you know i'm a kind of kind of casual uh player i just don't have a whole lot of time plus my mind is old i'm uh just too slow uh, for you, for the young folks. But when I talk to the young folks uh, at Vicious Syndicate, yeah, they keep trying to innovate, trying to find ways to uh, kind of beat the meta. And that, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing. We have a lot of uh, opportunities for research in this uh, in many forms. I give you just the example of stock markets. Economics, in economics, people are really interested in how uh, interactions among, uh, you know, agents, they call them. Mm-hmm. How interactions among agents, uh, through, uh, prices and, and prices here, you, you, you can call, uh, win rates, uh, prices and how the equilibrium of this meta is, uh, is solved. Quote unquote again. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are really, really interesting academic questions. And one of the really nice things I, I like about the weekly Data Reaper reports is that you tr- it seems like you're encouraging some of that experimentation by saying, here's a, a meta breaker pick that people might not see coming, try this deck, or yeah. even with these win rates, or the end of each article encourages people, here's something to do that's a little outside the box. Yeah, that's what we're trying, that was the vision of, uh, of Zacco, uh, to provide people with some thoughts. I mean, uh, you know, there's so many ways we can take it, but that's kind of the, 
at the at the core, that's the idea. There are a number of decks that uh, in Whispers early on we saw emerging, like Dragon Warrior. We started seeing emerge mm-hmm. in this uh, MSOG uh, meta. Uh, if you go back to the first, I think it was the first or second report after Gadgets and came out, we spotted uh, Reno Mage uh, to be the deck, and uh, it it kind of uh, was uh, to some extent in this meta. Uh, it was a new deck that people well not new, played it before, but with the Kazakas guy. It just became very, very powerful, and that woman, that what what was named Solia woman, you know, Zach was was really excited about it. Yeah, and I tend to play more aggressive decks because I, I never opened a Kazakas, so mm-hmm. but I've been on the the receiving end of too many Bron Kazakas turns. I was like, well, yeah. I guess I lose this game. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Moving yes. on. Uh huh. So with the new um, expansion coming out, you know, it's a whole new opportunity to get a whole fresh set of cards in to see how they're performing. And some of the mechanics I was talking to, to uh, Peter Whalen about was, you know, this adapt mechanic where uh-huh. it's kind of interesting. Something he clarified for me that I didn't realize is that the adapt options apply to any adapt card. So whether it's two mana or eight mana, you get the same adapt options, which is kind uh-huh. of interesting. How, like, will Vicious Syndicate be able to track, like, the different options that the card gets, or is it more just this card was played? This card was played, likely. Okay. Likely. Yeah. If if, uh, if the trackabout uh, will collect that information, uh, he usually doesn't, mm-hmm. so uh, we will be limited to that. Uh, at times, we, we, we've done one type of analysis with uh, the folks at HDT, uh, we've done that tavern brawl with them, mm-hmm. and uh, they might be able to do something. Uh, but at this time, uh, we only we only track the cards played. Okay, I you know I asked him this question, but in terms of the RNG is just the randomness is kind of built into Hearthstone. There's mm-hmm. <laughs> and certainly adapt where you're going to have one of ten options, but you only get to pick three of them. You know, it seems to add to both RNG and decision-making level. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, we've had some conversations offline before about the different skills required in Hearthstone, and one of them is kind of understanding what cards to put in your deck, mm-hmm. what cards to mulligan early on, to the, going against the matchup, and then how to play different cards according to the board state. So what do you think about the new adapt mechanic overall? So it's... Uh... I read about it just briefly. Yeah. But uh, it's sort of like Discover. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the, the reviews uh, on Discover have been very positive. Um, I think the higher level of players like this mechanic because it uh, showcases their ability to adapt to the game and pick something that as they read how the game progresses based on the matchup, based on the board state, based on the cards they have in hand, based on what they know is coming up from their deck, then they can make an optimal decision taking into account all of the factors and, you know, the higher level of players will be able to make a better decision on average than uh, beginner players. Mm -hmm. So uh, to some extent, it, it makes this 
uh, increases the likelihood that the better player is going to win the game. Uh, take advantage of the RNG to your side. Mm-hmm. Uh, these that thingies that come out is it's like spare parts in some extent. To some extent, a lot of them are like spare parts. The fact that you can choose uh, allows you to, uh, or allows your skill to to get reflected better in the game. In my in my opinion, but I think a lot of the pros would agree with that. Yeah. And so, how do you see? I mean, if you go back to the first Data Reaper report and then look at the most recent one, it, it's such a kind of growth and evolution mm-hmm. to the I think the quantity and quality of the information that's presented. You know, what does Data Reaper Report 80 look like down the road? Like, where do you think this is going for for Vicious Syndicate? Well, what we hope is to kind of expand a little bit on the content around the Data Reaper Report. Okay. Uh, we try to put out content that uh, not flood, not flooding content, because what what we value is the quality of uh, of the content that we do put out. This goes back to what we discussed before mm-hmm. about the standards that we apply when we write something. Uh, we do apply the highest standards. And so as a result, we do work on each report uh, quite a bit. And each special report, you want to call them, uh, we work on them quite a bit. How, and and so, yeah, uh-huh. to, to jump in, I wonder that how impactful is the pirate package uh, which was published back on February 20th. Like, mm-hmm. how long were you and the rest of the team working on that? I'd say six weeks. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, six weeks. I mean, not not night and day, but from the time that we decided that this is a good time for this package, it took uh, about six weeks. Yeah. Wow. So I think that again just shows to folks who might not think like, oh, this is just another site that is throwing up articles that there's really a lot of work that goes into these reports no no absolutely i mean there's a lot of work behind the scenes that we you know again we we just don't want to spit out numbers you know we had people ask us to just give the numbers and there is really no point in that because uh if i give the numbers to some person and then they make a couple of graphs out of it i mean okay but the the numbers could be a misrepresented, misused, misinterpreted, misprocessed, and we don't want that to happen. What we did do in the past is if if people who have the skills and have the time and have the motivation and have uh, and are interested in analyzing Hearthstone data together with us, uh, we're happy to uh, provide people with data. And, uh, you know, I think that the pirate package is an example. Whoever, uh, the person who wrote it was a person who contacted us and said, can we do something together with data? I'll be really happy to analyze data together with you. And we said, sure. And so we gave him the data and he did a lot of the work and he gave us an article and then we revised it. We gave him feedback. It's just like an academic article, nothing different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we were happy to have people contact us and uh, work together with them. That's great. And so it seems like, you know, analyzing different cards or things early on in a game is certainly much easier than doing something later like like Reno for the for the reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. how what other types or flavors of content do you think Vicious Syndicate could get into? 
Yeah, we, we've been asked a lot about Wild. People are interested in having a data reaper report about Wild. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we don't have uh, an objection to that. We just don't have the people to uh, to um, be dedicated to that. The other thing is that we uh, really are uh, valuing, in addition to to uh, quality, we value consistency. Uh, we don't want to start something that you know after three weeks we cannot do anymore. So when we before we got to the data reaper project, we made sure that our commitment is to give the community a report, and that thing comes out every Thursday at noon Eastern on the clock. <laughs> and you know, people are waiting for it. You know, we had one person. Uh, this was funny because I forget the exact quote, but there are people on the website refreshing the the site. Uh, starting at like 11.50 Eastern time. Wow, that's intense. <laughs> yeah. And they're refreshing and refreshing. And then one time we got a, maybe a direct message on Twitter or something or on Reddit and said, oh, what, when is the report coming out? I don't want to sit here like, an, like a dumbass refreshing the thing every, right. <laughs> every three seconds. And so it was funny because uh, people really value that information. So wild... Uh, if we are able to be consistent uh, and provide a, a timely and consistent report, we'll do it. We just don't have the the people to do it at this time. Yeah. So that is one idea, and then we, you know, we have a number of ideas for one-off, like special reports. That to the extent that we have the people, we'll do them. Yeah, and I, and I wonder with the journey to Angoro, something that you could track. Is the the quest cards because I think if they're going to be played, they're going to be played on turn one, mm-hmm. and then how successful are those decks using that? Seems like that might be something that that could be done in the future. Possible, yeah. I don't know how that will work, but I saw just the video now that the exclamation point uh, comes out, but uh, we haven't seen more than that. But certainly, every time there is new content. Uh, people uh, both at Blizzard but over at Vichy Syndicate are really excited together with the entire community. And so how can folks, uh, if they want to participate in the data collection that you guys have going on or you know, have questions, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or to join that process? Yeah, so uh, there are a number of ways. One is uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook or go to our website. In our website, there is a form Somewhere there on each report, there is an invitation to contribute information about uh, the games. Sign up with Dracobot and then uh, provide us with, you know, the uh, credentials so that we can read the Dracobot data. Mm-hmm. People can uh, contact us on Patreon. Uh, we, I'm hoping to uh, help the people who uh, produce this report to get a little bit of rewards. Out of that, and the Patreons, the community of Patreons were really helpful. And to thank you too, because you're also a Patreon, I know. Yes. So that is very, very nice of you, and, and we thank you for that. And nowadays, we've uh, uh, elevated the the kind of Patreon rewards. People can get like early access, so that they won't like refresh all the time. <laughs> they don't have yeah. to keep clicking their mouse. Yes. And- yes. So yes. they can get real uh, like uh, if you are in some level. Forget what it is. Uh, uh, you can get early access to some of the content. Um, the other thing is they can get in touch with us on Twitter, on Discord, 
there's so many ways these days. We don't have Snapchat, but uh, <laughs> there are other ways, there are many ways that people can get in touch with us. Direct messages on Reddit. And we, we do monitor those things and we try to respond, be responsive to people. Yeah, so I hope everyone, uh, you know, if they haven't checked out the site yet, if they play Hearthstone, uh, they're certainly missing out. So go to the site, check it out. If, if you're kind of taking the game a little bit more seriously, uh, contribute your data. You know, I think every bit of data you get helps to make the reports that much stronger. And, you know, I also encourage folks at the same time, you know, have fun with the game, create decks, play some meme decks every once in a while that maybe aren't that effective, but when they do win, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. th- that can sometimes get lost sight in the the competitive nature of the game. But what what's a deck that you play like that that's just sort of uh, not that effective, but it's just you like trying to make it work? I used to play Zoo. The uh, Zoo was my first, uh, like, golden uh, golden uh, hero. Okay, Warlock, sure. Uh, yeah, I tried to do that, and then I played that other one, that the Mecha Mage thing back in the day. Okay. Uh, nowadays, now I like this uh, Finger thingy, so I uh, play with that a little bit. I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm just like you. I, I don't know how to play control. I'm, I'm too weak for that. <laughs> but uh, I get too impatient. I just like uh, I want to play a game. I want it to take six to eight minutes, and then I want to move on. I don't. Mm-hmm. Those twenty-minute games sort of wear on me. I, I mean, I like them. I mean, they're really interesting games. Right. Uh, they're far more interesting, in my opinion. But they, yeah, they they're a little bit exhausting. I mean, on my on my old brain, they're a little bit too exhausting. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking some time to to come on the show. Uh, thank you for hosting us. Uh, this has been a great experience, and we hope that uh, your listeners will be able to get some uh, benefits out of visiting our site. Yeah, and, and maybe I'll have, have you back on after uh, Journey to Angoro lands, and uh, we can kind of touch base again to see what's happening with the meta. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Excellent. Thank you.